This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, another college football week in the books. Week 8 of the college football season behind us. Week 7 concluding tonight in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers playing the Minnesota Vikings as I am recording this. A lot to talk about on the college landscape, the NFL landscape. I feel like we usually try to stay towards the positive aspect of it, but I feel collectively there's a lot to discuss about some stock down, some questions arising with college prospects, with NFL players, a lot to kind of break it all down. So let's kind of jump right into starting out with the NFL draft report for week eight. We do that with our SS teams of the week, our first string, second string team of the week, but also some bigger picture things I want to talk about after we, you know, discuss the first and second teams of this past week in terms of week eight. So let's jump right into it. The first string quarterback of the week was J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan. Uh, Michigan rolled over Michigan State. McCarthy had 287 yards passing and four touchdowns. The first string running back of the week was Jason McClellan out of Alabama. Alabama came back and beat Tennessee. He had a big role in that. He had 27 carries, 115 yards, and one touchdown. First string wide receiver of the week. You know, as Gus Johnson calls him, Maserati Marv. Marvin Harrison out of Ohio State. They easily come back and beat Penn State after a little shakiness to maybe start there, but then they cruised in that game. I never really felt like that game was that close. 11 catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown for Marvin Harrison this past week in the first string tight end of the week. Bryson Nesbitt out of UNC. UNC came up short in the game against Virginia, but Nesbitt, three catches, 93 yards, and one touchdown. If we start with, with Marvin Harrison, that performance, 11 catches, 162 yards and a touchdown. It, over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing Marvin Harrison take over at times. And, you know, we've had a lot of great elite wide receiver prospects, you know, over the last couple of decades. And, and Marvin Harrison sits right near the top of them. Like, you know, I think since we've been doing Saturday Sunday, you know, probably Jamar Chase was, was the best prospect coming out. And I think Marvin Harrison is right there, if not above Jamar Chase. Uh, he's the complete package. I think he's going to run faster than people think he is. He's got the size, the body control, the ball skills. Uh, you know, Dave Rugler, who's as good as anybody in the business, he, he's convinced he's got, not getting out of the top three. So I, you know, top three, a wide receiver, you know, that just speaks volumes in terms of how special of a talent Marvin Harrison is. And he's been on, Dane's been on record saying he thinks it's going to be you know, in some order, Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison, and it doesn't necessarily mean the quarterbacks are going to be before him. That's how highly regarded Marvin Harrison is at, at the next level. So, you know, what what he's doing, you know, the last couple of weeks, I feel like he's really been carrying that Ohio State offense. Uh, they're not nearly as explosive and high octane as we've seen in the past, uh, but, but he's helping, you know, McCord develop there uh, into a functional quarterback right now. Uh, and he's just making big play after big play there. And you see why he's going to, you know, be the highest taken wide receiver, you know, in, in quite some time. Uh, Bryson Nesbitt, you know, he's a guy who I really liked in the summer as a, an intriguing pass catching tight end, really athletic, uh, can attack the seam, can get vertical, 
can make plays after the catch as well. So it was nice to see him even in a UNC loss, you know, making some big plays. You know, those three catches, 93 yards and a touchdown. You know, he's a guy that an NFL team would be very intrigued with. He's not going to be much of an inline blocker, but we're talking about a guy who can, a really natural athlete who can make things happen in the open field. Uh, interesting prospect that we'll see if his stock continues to rise a little bit. But I think he's got day two talent. I think he's got round three, round four uh, talent. So I think he could sneak into the second day of the NFL draft, you know, if teams are looking for that athletic pass-catching specialist tight end type prospect. I think that could be Nesbitt. Uh, Jason McClellan, we've talked about, you know, he's a guy that, you know, Alabama this year's offense is not the juggernaut it is. McClellan's their best running back right now. Uh, he's a guy that I think he's going to have a role at the NFL. I don't think he's going to be a top 100 pick. I don't think there's going to be a lot of running backs in the top 100. But McClellan's a guy who would definitely go somewhere in the round four, round five mix. Uh, you know, a good runner, you know, an above average pass catcher, a, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. And then McCarthy, you know, listen, things are going to start, you know, stiffening up a little bit for Michigan and we'll get to really kind of get a feel for the the development and growth of J.J. McCarthy. I know, like I mentioned, Dave Ruler before, him, other people, they have McCarthy higher than me right now. And I'm still a little bit more, I have Jordan Travis ahead of him. I have Michael Panix Jr. ahead of him. Uh, you know, McCarthy's a guy who's got a, I want to see him in big moments, in big games, when they can't just rely on the ground game and their defense and not ask him to win the game, but just basically manage the game and, and take his shots when they're there. You know, we need to see him, you know, come up big in a big moment. We need to see him overcome adversity. We need to see him handle pressure, you know, of being down 14 in the fourth quarter. Like, the, So there's going to be some interesting games coming on the schedule soon for Michigan. And I think we're going to get to see a lot more about J.J. McCarthy in terms of his NFL caliber prospects and just how highly he might be regarded on that, you know, in that spectrum. If we take this over to the second string team of the week at the quarterback position, you know, a guy I just mentioned, Jordan Travis out of Florida State. Florida State beat Duke. Jordan Travis had 268 yards and two touchdowns, also chipped in 62 yards rushing and a rushing touchdown. Uh, second string running back of the week, Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin. Uh, they beat Illinois this past week. He had 145 yards and one touchdown. Second string wide receiver of the week is Xavier Worthy out of Texas. Texas had a much closer game than expected against Houston, but they came away victorious. Six catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown for Worthy. And then second string tight end, he's becoming a routine on these lists. Uh, Jaheim Bell out of Florida State helped them in that game against Duke. He had eight catches, 53 yards, continues to be an integral part of that pass offense there. Obviously, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson are, you know, option one and option two, but Jaheim Bell clearly option three uh, in that Seminoles pass offense. So a couple of things, you know, let's start with Jordan Travis, who, again, I watched Jordan Travis, and I, I mentioned this before, and I'll, I'll continue to say it, you know, somewhere like a Morton Jaron Hall last year, not as much as, you know, obviously Bryce Young, but to me, he's he stylistically does some of the same things that those two guys did. He's got the arm talent to to make any throw. He can throw with some touch and anticipation. He's got some sneaky athleticism that he can make plays with his legs. He can buy time in the pocket. I really like Jordan Travis in Florida State. They're probably going to be favored in every game the rest of the year. And if they take care of business, obviously they got rivalry games with Miami and you know and Florida, and you know we'll we'll see how that goes. But I'm really excited to potentially see the Seminoles back in the playoff picture. 
this year, national championship picture. And I really want to see Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, Trey Benson in big moments, big games, because I don't think Georgia is the juggernaut that they've been the last couple of years. I don't think Ohio State's the juggernaut that we've seen. I, I think is I think this opens up this year a little bit more for a team like Florida State to legitimately have a shot if they make the playoff to beat these teams. And that would put Jordan Travis at the spotlight. And I'm excited to kind of see him in those moments because I really like the, the talent and the player. Braylon Allen, we've talked a lot about. Listen, he's got that straight line speed for a man his size. He, he's got good athleticism, bursts, and acceleration. I don't think he's going to do much in terms of making you miss. Stop, start stuff. I don't think he's going to, you know, he's going to be a guy who's very elusive. Uh, he's not going to be much of a pass catcher, but a, a really good power runner with high level athleticism and speed for a man his size and frame. Listen, it's an overall down running back class, you know, so a guy like Braylon Allen's probably going to be ticketed somewhere, you know, in, in round three, maybe round two. Uh, but we'll see, you know, like I think he can, you know, intrigue teams as much as a guy like Zach Charbonnet did last year. So we'll see. And Charbonnet went, you know, in the middle of the second round. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how this running back landscape, you know, figures itself out as, you know, the rest of the season unfolds. And then obviously the pre-draft month, I think we'll get a real better feel for the the running back position in terms of what the NFL thinks of it and where these guys might go. Xavier Worthy, I've been calling him Hollywood Brown for a couple of years, and that's just who he reminds me of. Uh, the size, the frame, the play style. You know, I think he's a guy who could go round one, but I wouldn't be stunned to see him go in the top 15, 20 picks of round two. But he has that explosive element to his game, uh, really changed the dynamic of an offense. So I think Xavier Worthy... Listen, I think in a different class, he could have been a locked-in round one guy. But just the way I see this class, I, I talked about it on the last pod, right? We have Marvin Harrison Jr. locked in. You know, we have, uh, you know, Malik Neighbors. We have Keon Coleman. We have Roman Dunze. You know, we'll see about Egbuka if he comes out of Ohio State as well. So, you know, Xavier Worthy, it, you know, really good, talented prospect, but he might be six just from that list. And that's to say no one else jumped and leapfrogs over him. Uh, you know, just because the other guys have the prototype and, and great athletic me- measurements and testing as well. Uh, I think it's going to be hard for Wordy to leapfrog any of those five guys that I mentioned. So those are the SS teams of the week, but I couldn't get out of the NFL draft report without talking about the top level quarterbacks all struggling this past week. And I'm talking about Caleb Williams, talking about Drake May, and I'm talking about Michael Panix Jr. Uh, Michael Panix Jr., you know, Washington was able to sneak out a victory over Arizona State. Uh, Drake May and UNC were unable to beat a one-win Virginia team. And Caleb Williams was unable to lead USC past Utah this past week. Listen, all of them struggled. And I think it's it's easy to forget that these guys are very young players that are going to have their ups and downs. We're so used to college players, sometimes the the top-level quarterbacks, putting up like gaudy, you know, almost like arcade video game style type numbers, you know, but we've seen Caleb Williams now, the U, the Notre Dame game and now the Utah game really, you know, not look like this all world best quarterback prospect, you know, since Andrew Luck, you know, type prospect. We've seen Drake Bay continue to make some poor decisions and look a little erratic. And then we saw Michael Panics. I mentioned it last week, as good as he looked against Oregon, there were times where he couldn't handle pressure well, and there were some legit question marks. And I think that's why the NFL might not be as high on him as maybe like draft Twitter is. And this past week, all of them struggled again. Panics threw two interceptions against Arizona State, who's not a, a very good football team. You know, 
Drake May should have, you know, UNC was favored by like 20-something against Virginia and lost the game. And then, you know, we expected Caleb Williams to bounce back after that ND game, and he was very suspect. And I think it's, you know, it's just, again, perspective. We live in an instant, you know, analysis-type world now, and it's easy to forget that there's going to be ups and downs for these guys, uh, and it's kind of how they bounce back. You know, and, and, you know, I think a guy like Drake May, the talent around him is a little bit suspect. He reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert. So I think you, when you're drafting Drake May, you're drafting the tools, the, the traits, and you're hoping that he morphs into as, you know, as refined a player as Justin Herbert's been at the NFL level. But I think they're they're very similar in size, frame, arm talent, you know, stylistically how they play you know, the developmental areas and concerns that we went ahead about Herbert when he was coming out. I, I think that's kind of where I sit with Drake May right now. And then I think the Caleb Williams thing is, is a conversation to have. And listen, I I don't come on here and say things just to like, you know, anybody who's been a longtime listener knows that that's not what I'm looking to do on this show. I'm not a hot take-ish kind of person just to kind of stir the pot. You know, but, but I will say NFL teams... And scouts, especially the old guard type scouts, there's going to be some questions about the, I don't know, want to say about the attitude, uh, the body language, just how Caleb Williams has kind of looked over the last two weeks, you know, whether it's disinterested. Listen, it, it easily could just be frustration, but he's the leader of the team. And there was enough clips and highlights of the sidelines that he didn't look like a guy Again, I, I'm not going to knock him or, or bring him down my boards, but he just didn't... What we saw the last two weeks when things weren't going well for USC, and I've already been on record as saying, I don't think they're that talented of a football team. They don't have elite wide receivers anymore. They don't have a good O-line. They don't have a good running back, and they have a putrid defense. So they basically have to score every time they have the ball to basically stay with their opponent if it's a decent opponent. And I think... He might be pressing a little bit, for sure, with some of his decisions, things that he got away with last year, things that he turned into fantastic plays. This past, the last couple games, a lot of those plays when he's off structure and throwing on the run and and got people who think Patrick Mahomes, this year they, just haven't, they haven't worked out. And his ability to play under pressure this year has really struggled compared to previous seasons, you know, in the past. And what I saw on the sideline was a guy like, wow, like... And if, I know it might sound ridiculous, but people are going to look at that and say like, well, what if he goes to a really bad team? What if he goes to the Bears and they're terrible? What if he, you know, what if he, you know, pick another team that's going to be picking near the top of the NFL draft, like that doesn't have a good team around it, that, that it's going to take years to rebuild this up. And is that what he's going to look like on the sideline when he's supposed to be the leader in the face of the franchise and the guy that rallies the troops and you know, keeps spirits up or is he going to seem disinterested when other people around him, you know, are are, are aiding in the, the struggles of him? So I, we'll see how he bounces back from this. Uh, but I think people are going to make note of it. Like, you know, like I, for me to say something about it, to me, it was a little glary when I was watching him the other day that I he just looked like a guy that, you know, is a guy that when the chips are down which they are going to be often in the NFL, you know, I want him to be the guy that's rallying the troops on the sidelines and him being the guy that says, it's okay. Like, 
you know, like, and what we've seen over the last two weeks is a guy on the sidelines that almost looks like is very frustrated, uh, a little confused almost in terms of like it being the way it is. And, and, and even some expressions were, you know, a little bit disinterested, but again, we only see glimpses of the sideline, which is why I don't overreact to things, but I also know it's going to be out there. Like there's no way there's not going to be some conversation about it when you play two games in a row like that, you know, have the eyes of the, the, the NFL world on you and, and you struggle in both of those games and you can't elevate your team, you know, in either of those two games to, to get a victory. You know, it's just the way it is when we're talking about an elite level prospect and we're nitpicking. And, and I think that's kind of the situation now that, that Caleb Williams finds himself in. It usually takes, doesn't take this long to start finding criticisms. So the fact that, you know, we're week seven, week eight into the college football season over the last two weeks, and now is the first time we're really finding some things in Caleb Williams's game, you know, it'll be interesting to kind of see how this year plays itself out because it hasn't been nearly as good as the, the Heisman year last year. It, you know, not even close to that. And we saw Trevor Lawrence in his last year kind of have some struggles and, and, and dips. And, and we'll see how it goes for Caleb Williams the rest of the year here uh, and if he can bounce back. But, you know, listen, that's not going to change what the NFL thinks of him. They're, they're still going to think of him as, you know, a, a elite franchise quarterback. I think that's kind of locked in right now. Uh, but it's at least worthy uh, of talking about. If we take this over to the Debbie report and the Debbie slant for this past week, Two things stood out in the Debbie slam for this week. And it was one, we just talked about some struggles of the top, you know, draft eligible quarterbacks. Drew Allard, the best underclassman quarterback in the country who's not draft eligible. 18 of 42, 191 yards, really struggling in that Ohio State game. And, you know, we're waiting on guys like Arch Manning and, and, and other guys to get their shot. You know, but Drew Allard is supposed to be the guy in terms of the underclassmen that are not draft eligible. And, you know, he's not at the level of what we think Caleb Williams is and Drake May and even what I think Shadu Sanders is. And, you know, Drew Alar is an intriguing prospect right now, but he he's not a guy who, like, I feel like, oh, like last year we knew Drake May and Caleb Williams were going to be top of the quarterback heap. We knew they were going to be top five, top three, top two picks in, in the 2024 NFL draft. I'm not ready to say that about Drew Alar. Nothing I've seen about him yet makes me think like he's that elite of a quarterback prospect. So, so I thought that was worthy to talk about. Obviously, still high in Debbie quarterback ranks and stuff like that, you know. But, but, maybe, but I don't look at him right now and look at him the same way I looked at the top quarterbacks in the past. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, you know, May, Caleb, those guys. He he doesn't he doesn't speak to me right now. He's not at that level. There's still a lot of growth and development needed. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins. 124 yards and one touchdown. Listen, we talked about the draft eligible running back being a little bit down. I even think Quinshawn Judkins, I know this was a good game for him, but like he doesn't like, you know, been putting up these like gaudy numbers to like kind of jump to the heap of the of the Devi. And I still have some concerns about his his actual traits, just in terms of the speed, the quickness, you know, making people miss, stuff like that. Like, you know, so again, we talked about the struggles of the, the quarterbacks that are draft eligible bringing up some concerns about Drew Alar. It's just things that it's not always a, a perfect picture, right? These guys are prospects, their strengths, there's areas that they're functional at, and there's developmental areas for most of these players. And I, I think we've, we've started to really, you know, find some spots here this year that I think their development and concerns and flaws and weaknesses right now are, are starting to come to the, the forefront a little bit more 
uh, as we're getting a little bit further here into the college football season. Let's spin this over to the NFL side uh, and take this to the NFL rookie report for week seven. Uh, quarterback position is kind of a quiet week. CJ Stroud on by. Anthony Richardson hurt probably out the year. Bryce Young on by. But we did get a Tyson Badgen out of Shepard, the, the, the small school prospect who was down there in Mobile last year at the Senior Bowl, stepping in for Justin Fields, who's hurt. He Badgett leads the Bears to a win over Vegas. He's 21 of 29, 162 yards and one touchdown. Got to be an amazing story coming from, you know, Shepard and, you know, being an NFL player, stepping in, not even the third stringer developmental practice squad guy, but coming in, you know, and wins the backup job in preseason and now gets a chance to start in a victory and now we'll see. He's going to start again this, this upcoming week here, you know, and and we'll see about Justin Fields when he's back. Uh, but a great story there for Tyson Badger. I don't think there's much fantasy dis- discussed there, but obviously noteworthy that he got an opportunity there to start and held his own, right? 21 of 29, 162 yards for a guy at his first game, you know, playing in the NFL, basically, you know, a pretty impressive stat line there to help the Bears get their second win of the year. The running back position... I don't know what the story was with B. John Robinson, a headache or something, but he had one carry three yards, barely was on the football field. You know, a lot of people, a lot of questions about that uh, for people, you know, who play DFS, who play, you know, any type of fantasy league and had him up. Uh, You know, we'll see about that. He's still, you know, take this game out of it. I talked about it last week. He's still not getting the usage and the role that I expected. I'm glad he's heavily involved in the pass game. But I also want to see him be a bell cow in the running back game, especially near the goal line. We're just not seeing it. Uh, Jameer Gibbs got a 20-touch week this past week with David Montgomery out. It, Baltimore steamrolled the Lions, so a lot of it was in garbage time. But 11 carries, 68 yards, and a touchdown, 9 catches, 58 yards. That's basically a dream stat line for Jameer Gibbs. People who drafted Jameer Gibbs high, that's kind of the dream Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara-type role that I think anybody who drafted Jameer Gibbs high in a startup dynasty or in dynasty rookie drafts, like that's the dream when you when you want to know what you want Jameer Gibbs to stat line to look like in a week, you would love to see 11, 12 carries and then like anywhere between like six and eight, obviously we'll take nine, but like that's the, that's the 16 to 18 touches that we want to see Jameer Gibbs getting. And if he does that, we're talking about a you know, home run RB1 in Dynasty, a guy worthy of putting up Alvin Kamara, Austin Eckler type numbers, if that's ever his his you know usual role, uh, you know once things settle in for him in terms of the NFL at the tight end position, Dalton Kincaid had his best breakout game of the year, eight catches, seventy five yards. Uh, nice to see him getting more involved. I think his role will continue to grow as Buffalo's offense has been a little bit shaky lately. Pretty much everyone's had a you know suspect year besides Stefan Diggs in the passing game. Uh, they need Dalton Kincaid to take that breakout and, and continue to kind of build off of that. At the wide receiver position, so many guys to talk about. I mean, we thought, if anybody thought Puka might slow down with Cooper Cutback, yeah, they're going to have some games that they volley up and down. Sometimes they'll both go off. Sometimes it'll be a, a, a cup week. Well, this week was a Puka week. Eight catches, 154 yards. I mean, any questions that anybody might have had, they should be long gone. You know, I just redid my dynasty positional rankings. And, you know, I've poked Naku up at 17. And I think you can make the case he could even be higher. Like, that's that's where we're at already with Puka Nakua in terms of his dynasty value. Uh, 
Jalen Hyatt, two catches, 75 yards. Every time he's asked to make a play vertically down the field, he makes a play. I will say this, and I say this periodically, guys that you want, sometimes you want to be early. Go buy Jalen Hyatt now. If there are still people that think he's only a vertical threat, he's a, he's a bit player. I think they're going to be wrong. I think his route running is way more advanced than people gave him credit for. And he's got that elite vertical ability that once he becomes integrated, once he becomes a guy, like I see absolutely no reason why the way that people were so excited about Christian Watson before this year started, I see no reason why that can't be Jalen Hyatt. Now, I know he doesn't have, you know, the physical measurements as, as good as, you know, Christian Watson in terms of size frame, but I think he's a more refined player than Christian Watson. I think he's got even better speed than Christian Watson. He he's put up a prolific collegiate career, you know, in that last year there. So I think Jalen Hyatt is a guy that, whether you want to think Will Fuller, whether you want to think Deshaun Jackson, I think Jalen Hyatt's going to be able to become that type of player. And when Will Fuller was at his best and healthy, and when Deshaun Jackson was at his best and healthy, you were talking about guys that could be anywhere from low wide receiver two to high wide receiver two. I'm not sure Jalen Hyatt ever gets there because I think the wide receivers right now you know, are as good as we've ever had collectively in the NFL. But I think Jalen Hyatt's got the upside with that big playability to be a wide receiver Perito, a low wide receiver too. I think now's the time to still buy him before he has, he's going to have before the year's out a three or four catch, 130 yard, two touchdown game. It's coming. It's coming. We have the, we've had these two for 70, two for 60 type games. We're going to have a four catch, 130, two touchdown type game. It's just a matter of when, not if. I want to be in on Jalen Hyatt before that game happens because I think it's going to be hard to get him after that. Jackson Smith in the Jigba breakout, four catches, 63 yards and a touchdown. DK was out this past week, so that gave him an opportunity uh, to, to see more looks. I think he's, his role is slowly starting to grow. Uh, Josh Downs continues to show why I loved him, basically. And I thought he was right there, almost at the same level as Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers. Five catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown. And Rishi Rice is, is moving himself up the pack as the most viable Kansas City wide receiver. Uh, Sky Moore there is Tony just having morphed into what anybody thought for Sky Moore, what I thought for Kadarius Tony. Uh, he just doesn't seem like he can learn the playbook and or stay on the field or be reliable. I think now's the time to also buy Rishi Rice before he's fully integrated, playing 80% of the snaps. Uh, I would try to buy a lot of these young wide receivers for sure. We take this to the NFL Dynasty report, and you know I kind of talked about it before with the draft report, you know, the NFL draft report that a lot of, you know, question marks, I, I think that can be kind of tied together here with the NFL dynasty report. Like it is, I just updated my rankings and it is stunning just how many questions there are after like the top nine quarterbacks, after the top 12 running backs, 13 running backs. And after like, I don't know, the top 15 or so wide receivers, there's so many question marks about guys that it's like you could almost just make a huge group of stock down at the quarterback position. Think where we were before the year started on Daniel Jones, my team's quarterback. So much uncertainty now. Is he even the guy in New York next year, let alone long term? Does he even come back this year and become fancy viable when most people thought he could be a QB1 this year? What about Justin Fields? Does he come back? Do we see the good Justin Fields? Do we see the bad Justin Fields? Is his time in Chicago up? And then who knows where he goes? 
How vested are they if he gets traded to another team in the offseason? There were people who were into Jordan Love as like that mid-QB too. He's been atrocious the last couple of weeks. Kenny Pickett. Some people thought maybe they would take the next step this year. He's not doing it. After his rookie year, some people like Mac Jones. I know he had a really good game this past week against the Bills, but he hasn't lived up to that. Deshaun Watson. I mean, they're talking about buyer's remorse, you know, the Browns. It's going to go down maybe as the worst trade in NFL history, and I didn't think the Russell Wilson deal could be top. It might be top right around the same time as it with the Deshaun Watson trade. All these certainties that, like, after the elite quarterbacks, and then, like, you throw in the mix there, like Anthony Richardson and Trevor Lawrence, and there's uncertainty everywhere at the quarterback position. Go to the running back position. In my rankings, even still right now, I have Ramondre Stevenson 13th, and Javante Williams, 14th. And I don't want any of them in Dynasty. But what are we supposed to do? 15 is James Cook. He's losing work to Latavius Murray. Nick Chubb is at 16 for me. He has had another major knee injury. Who knows who he is, who he is when he comes back? DeAndre Swift is a free agent after the year. He looks great in Philadelphia. Is he going to stay in Philadelphia? Question marks. You have David Montgomery. You know, how much is that going to morph into an even, even, like a 50-50 timeshare maybe with Jameer Gibbs? And if it does that, yeah, Montgomery's still viable, but not nearly as viable as the guy who's getting a heavy workload, which he's been getting when he's been healthy this year. Western marks everywhere. You go to the wide receiver position. Yeah, the top of the wide receiver position is amazing. But how about the guys that are that have been struggling this year? Stock down on Jahan Dotson. I love Jahan Dotson. So many people love Jahan Dotson before the year started. He's been struggling. Devonta Smith, he barely sees four or five targets a game now. Now, I would buy low on Devonta Smith. If you can get Jahan Dotson for a bag of footballs, basically, right now, I'd buy him. But Devonta Smith, I still think he's going to turn around. I still have him in my top 16 wide dynasty wide receivers. I'd be trying to buy low on him, but there's so much uncertainty there. What about Jerry Judy? We keep waiting for this breakout, but now he's going to be shipped out. We'll see where he goes. If it's now, if it's not now, maybe in the offseason. Is he ever going to be the guy that we thought? I was ready to buy all in on Calvin Ridley after the first week of the season. I like Calvin Ridley to players. One of my all-time favorite prospects since we started Saturday to Sunday. But he's been very up and down and inconsistent there. And it looks like Christian Kirk is now the target of choice for Trevor Lawrence. And then I mentioned them before when I was saying Jalen Hyatt. What about Christian Watson? His dynasty stock was, was through the roof in the offseason. He got injured. But even since he's been back from his injury now, not doing much of anything, not a guy who looks like he could be an alpha type player right now, whether it's the quarterback, the injury to start to slow it down him down in the year. But there's just questions everywhere. I don't remember a time in Dynasty that there were this many questions during the season. And we're not talking in the 25, 30 range. We're talking like after 15 running uh, wide receivers after 12 or 11 running back. I mean, Devin Aitchin has had like three good games in his NFL career and he's number 12 for me in my running back list. But 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 there's nowhere to go after that. You're going to put Alvin Kamara at his age as the 13th running back? I, you know, I don't feel great about that. Joe Mixon can't find the end zone and looks like a shell of himself. There's just, there's so much uncertainty everywhere. And the wide receivers, it's more of like not playing up to expectations but there seems to be so few players playing up to expectations after like a 15 or 16 or so guys. It, it, I don't remember a time where that high in the rankings, there were so many question marks, so much uncertainty, 
Uh, I do think it opens the window for some interesting buying opportunities. And I'll talk more about that as the year goes on. Obviously, a lot during the offseason as well. So there it is, guys. Another NFL Dynasty and NFL Rookie Report for Week 7. The NFL Draft Report for Week 8 of the college football season. A little Debbie slant there. Talking about a couple underclassmen, non-draft eligible prospects as well. If you're enjoying this content, please get over to the website, rate, review, uh, subscribe, where you listen to your podcast. At SS Football is the fastest and easiest way to get to our website. Check out the premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all of our premium notebooks. You get immediate access to the scouting notebook, over 100 detailed player profiles, strengths, functional areas, developmental areas, NFL role, how they win, scheme fit, fantasy spin. Uh, and then you get the rankings notebook, all our different rankings, uh, draft rankings, Debbie rankings, dynasty rookie rankings, positional dynasty rankings. And then you get the NFL Draft Projections Notebook in April as well. Tabs for every position, big boards for projecting the first night of the NFL Draft, the first two nights of the NFL Draft, and then every pick in the NFL Draft as well. Snapshot of how uh, every player wins and some developmental areas and concerning areas for a player. Uh, All of that for one low price total of $9.99 is the best way to support us and help us to continue to do what we do here at Saturday to Sunday. So, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nicano, and myself, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>